this morning and ask, how many of you just love babies? Okay, all the grandparents especially, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's good. Parents of newborns. Maybe it depends on the time of day or night. That may be what you're looking at. Others might say, I like babies, but taking care of a baby is not my favorite pastime. Some of you would say, babies, are you kidding me? They, they cry, they spit up, they need diaper changes. Oh, not, not for me, thank you. When Judy and I had our first baby, now over 40 years ago, yeah, <laughs> we were living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Hard labor hit about 11.30 p.m., and I remember how painful it was for me, for Judy, to go through labor. <laughs> about 4.30 a.m., Brittany was born. My, my older brother, who was then living in Seattle, called to congratulate me, and he said from his experience, he said, kids sleep through the night by age eight or so. I had no idea what we were getting into. Well, Judy and I have enjoyed every stage of rearing our two daughters. The infant stage, of course, as many of you know, brought sleep deprivation, midnight feedings, dirty diapers, feeding, and burping. It brought nights of patiently rocking and singing them to sleep. I rocked and Judy sang. I remember holding them, feeding them a bottle, looking down at their big eyes and just wondering, I wonder what, I wonder what she's thinking. I think it was, this man is my slave. <laughs> I wondered what they were going to be when they grew up. What is it going to be like when they can communicate as adults? Now, we, we love the baby stage. In fact, we enjoyed every stage of child rearing, but we're always glad when they progressed to the next stage. Then they grew up. We finally got to the stage every weary parent dreams about. Empty nest, empty nest. Well, children are supposed to grow up. Infancy is just the beginning of life. Sooner or later, all of us have to grow up. Today, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians as Paul addresses growing up. And even though the, the people in the church at Corinth, this ancient area of Greece, are spiritual in position or in nature, they're not acting very spiritual. In fact, their actions are more of a natural man than a spiritual man, described as carnal, fleshly, or just plain immature. They are acting immature, more like babies. And he tells them, and he tells us today, Time to grow up. Today, which way are you growing? Let's see what Paul tells them and what we can learn. As we turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. On page 925 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, it should also be on the PowerPoint in front of you. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. Yeah, that's easier. There we go. Verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. 
Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but as God, it is God who made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul begins this, this chapter by calling these people brothers. Brothers. This is an indication of relationship, warmth, and love. In fact, he, he regards the people he's writing to as family. So when he's talking to family, there are a lot of things you can say to family that you can't say to just anybody else. But he regards them as family. So he talks to them as family, which they are. He loves them. And because of this relationship, he has a right to address certain issues. He begins by addressing indicators of immaturity. Now, this is spiritually speaking. Indicators of spiritual immaturity. Verse 1, it says, I could not address you as spiritual, but worldly. Talks about them being infants in Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a baby or infant. All of us begin our physical life as infants. And when we begin our spiritual life, we were born again and we begin as infants or babies in Christ. But how long can we stay infants? The Corinthians began as infants, but as Paul says, they should have by now outgrown that stage. So infants in Christ, still just babies. So what are the indicators he lists of spiritual immaturity? How do we know where we, where we are in this? He lists, first of all, drinking milk, letter A, drinking milk and not eating solid food. Drinking milk and not eating solid food. Those of you that had children, remember the progression. Okay? It starts with liquid or nursing or formula. And of course, the advantage of formula was that dad could get up in the middle of the night as well. So that, that is an advantage to some. We got all kinds of other options today, but we won't talk about that. So nursing or formula. And then there's something called burping. You know, I, I hadn't really paid much attention to burping, but it's very important. As a pastor, I end up in a lot of different roles over the years. And we had brand new parents with an infant in our church in Lakewood, down in Tacoma, Washington. And I asked them one Sunday morning, I said, how's it going? Well, they said, we got problems with our baby. He's got gas and stomach pain. Okay, I said, so tell me about your feeding procedure. I said, are you burping him? They said, burping? No, the baby doesn't want to be interrupted. They just want to eat and eat and eat. He said, oh, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to burp every one quarter to three quarter ounce. I said, babies don't like it, but it's necessary to burp them. And I thought, but I didn't say, if you can't get control of your baby at this stage and make them burp, how in the world are you going to handle them as a teenager? But I didn't say that. <laughs> Wasn't long, they, they got it down. We move our babies from milk and formula to baby food. Then they 
ground up people food. How many of you ground up people food in a grinder thing? Yeah, ground up people food. And finally, they get teeth and they can chew for themselves. They get real food. And of course, every time you eat out at a restaurant, you leave totally embarrassed because of what your angel leaves on the floor. I know that happened. We used to be appalled watching these parents and say, what's wrong with those parents? Look at that mess they left. Then we had our own kids. It's like, okay. (laughs) Embarrassing. Spiritually, it's the same, except for the food on the floor. Milk represents the fundamental truths of the gospel. How to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. How to pray. How to read the Bible. Confession of sins. Simple truths. Easy to comprehend and practice. It's milk. And all of us have to start with milk. But then we are to move on to solid foods, deeper truths. And some Christians, as he talked about it here, some Christians never eat any more than milk, ever. Solid food is moving past John 3.16 and getting into Romans or 1 Corinthians. It's far more than just mental understanding. It's also something called application application. You get the truth, but you have to do the truth, practice the truth, carrying it out. We have thought, which is thinking process. It's kind of the ingestion. And then there's action, which is the digestive process, turning the food into action, into power, into energy and movement. What happens when we don't turn our food into action? Well, we, we get fat. It's not PC, but it's true. If we don't take our food and move into action, yeah, what happens? Spiritually growing, it means taking the truths that we learn and actually putting them into action. Otherwise, we end up being fat little babies, spiritually speaking. Okay. I'm going to get in trouble today. I can see it. <laughs> we have way too many infant Christians, couch potato Christians, Many understand, they even study the deep truths of the Bible, but they never apply them. They never apply them. We had a leader in this church talk about the great heritage of adult teaching and some of the other things that happened for years. And their observation was we've done that for years, but in some people's lives it's made absolutely no difference. They, they didn't put to work the truths they learned. We can learn all of the incredible truths, but never put them into, into motion. See, we're not a family room faith, a playground faith. We are a battleground faith. We're a battleground faith. Paul says, I need warriors, not wimps. I need soldiers, not infants. And our diet and application of our diet are indicators of either immaturity or maturity. And Paul is writing to people who are not yet able to even receive solid food in the past or even now in the present. There was no growth or progress. Now, whether we've known Jesus for 10 weeks or 10 years, one week or one year, the question is, are we growing? Are we putting it into practice? Is there progress? Is there movement? Is there spiritual growth? Are we still growing? Which way are we moving? Are we moving closer to God or further away from God? Or are we just stuck? Some people, we just get stuck. And God says, I want you to grow, grow up and develop. 
Which way are you growing? Now, this has nothing to do with chronological age. The second sign of spiritual immaturity he lists is verse 3, is jealousy, jealousy. The word jealousy comes from the word zeal or zealous. A.T. Robertson writes, zeal is not necessarily evil, but it's good if under control, under control. We know that God is, a, is called a jealous God who's zealously protecting us in our relationship with him. In the context of a marriage relationship, we jealously protect the relationship with our spouse. That's a positive, protective part of jealousy. But zeal can be turned into jealousy, a destructive force which is possessive and controlling. Jealousy of this kind comes from envy, wishing to have what someone else has. And jealousy can cause a lot of problems in the church today. Jealous of another's position or background, physical appearance, wealth or possessions, spiritual gifts, abilities, talents, personality, advantages or opportunities. That kind of jealousy flows from envy, which of course is based on comparison. We compare and then we get jealous. Now, the problem of jealousy in the church in Corinth led to the third indicator of immaturity, which was quarreling, quarreling. This is conflict, division, quarreling, or fighting. Have you ever noticed that with children, big fights and big conflicts occur over very unimportant issues? I had two older brothers growing up, and they always made a big deal over unimportant issues. I don't know. I know it was, it was the bucket of water over the bedroom door. I think that was one of the issues they, they didn't like. In marriages, we have the same types of issues. Yeah, I do a, a marriage inventory in premarital counseling and counseling. One of the very relevant statements that is agreed, agreed with or disagreed with is we sometimes have big disputes over unimportant issues. Of course, later we're mature, we laugh about it, etc. But in a church, if we are immature, we will make mountains out of molehills. Big conflicts over unimportant issues. Kenneth Chafin writes, any problem that has to be dealt with by people who are spiritually immature can divide a church no matter how small it may appear. I've seen churches split over the color of the carpet. The painting or decorating schemes. One church had a near split over the picture that was going to appear over the altar. It was like amazing. Play my way or I'm going to take my ball and go home. Now, if I did a survey on Sunday morning, and I asked you, there's always a risk, okay, but I'm just going to do it. If I did a survey, I'd say, how's the temperature in the room? How's the temperature in the room? Okay. 30% um, would probably say it's, it's too hot. 30% would say it's too cold. 30% would say just right. 10% wouldn't have an opinion. The same result would be if we took a, a survey of the volume of music. Okay, it's just going to be, well, it's a little loud, I like this, well, you know, whatever. Just the opinion. That's what happens. It's too soft, it's too loud, it's whatever, or I don't know. How we handle these kinds of issues, differences, are indicators of our spiritual maturity. 
Do we, do we avoid it and bury it or do we complain, do we gossip or do we find resolution? We are going to have disagreements. Agreed? Checking, okay. So the fourth, fourth indicator of spiritual immaturity is the, the pedestal problem, the pedestal problem. Putting leaders on a pedestal. It's interesting, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5, this is in the New Living Translation says, when one of you says, I am a follower of a Paul, of Paul, and another says, I prefer Apollos, aren't you acting like those who are not Christians? Who is Apollos and who is Paul that we should be the cause of such quarrels? He says, we are only servants. Through us, God caused you to believe. Each of us did the work that God gave us. And people will say, okay, because we all tend to follow different, different leaders. Back in the day, people would say, I follow Bill Hybels, or I follow Rick Warren. Acts 29 Network is the really true church, or John Piper is my guy, or it's Andy Stanley, or Joel Osteen really has the truth. Or we'd say, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, or I'm Presbyterian, or Lutheran, or Methodist, or I go to the real church, the Wesleyan church. We follow John Wesley. Actually, we all follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> just, just put that in there. We all live in the era. We are living in an era of the superstar. Superstar. Our whole culture is celebrity driven. And our culture creates a need for celebrity leaders. And so we copy them, emulate them, and follow them. You buy football jerseys with your celebrity leader on the back name, right? I know you I don't know what you're gonna do with the Aaron Rodgers one, but you know that's he went to the Jets. <laughs> Just saying. Same thing with Wilson. Yeah, it's, anyway, celebrity leaders. We all look to celebrities. I remember the first Christian music, when the first Christian music superstars hit the scene. In America, we had the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, all these ones. And the Christians said, we want our own Christian superstar. So we created our own Christian superstar, musicians and groups. We want our heroes. We want our celebrities. There's a, there is a pedestal problem, and it happens in athletics, as you know. Now they're looking at all the new people on the pedestal and you watch a football game and they're singing the praises of this, that, or the other person. It happens in the arts, in theater, technology, business, show business. We elevate humans. We follow people. People are fallible. We take sides. And the pedestal problem creates schisms in the church. That's why I never wore a Seattle Seahawk jersey to church. Just, just kidding. Human leaders put themselves on a pedestal or being put on a pedestal by someone else. Don't put any human on a pedestal. Question is, do you put a leader, a human person, on a pedestal? Don't. It's a sign of immaturity. We are then following a human and not Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, who are these guys? And we're talking Paul, I mean the Apostle Paul and Apollos. These are giants of the faith. And what does Paul say about them? 
They're just servants doing their job. They're just doing their job. Fifth indicator of immaturity is ownership, the ownership problem. This is my church, this is my ministry. Now, longevity is important as any part of ministry, but if a pastor ever thinks he owns the church, then, then we've got a problem. I, I don't know what kids say to you. I used to have kids come up to me various places we've been. They'd come up and look at me and say, do you own the church? Are you the boss? I'd say, hey, I'm not even the boss of my house. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I'm the leader because Judy lets me lead. That's, that's the way it is. <laughs> this is not my church. Amen. It's God's church. Yes. It's God's church. It's not your church either. It's God's church. This church belongs to God. Verse 6, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And then he says, you are God's field, you are God's building. You are the church. The, the church is not a building. Yeah. Church is not a building. When we believe the, the building is the church, the church is a building, we think we own it, and all kinds of problems emerge. Who's in charge? How can I, I, I got an investment here. I helped pay for this building. I donated it for the stained glass windows. I bought that piano. What? No, no. We invest in the kingdom of God in people and ministries. We sow. The building is just an incidental part. And I'm, I'm thankful every day that it's air conditioned. Just say, just saying. Okay. <laughs> Indicators of spiritual immaturity. Drinking milk, not solid food. Jealousy, quarrels, pedestal problem, and ownership problem. Just five of the problems in the Corinthian church that I think we can identify with. So what are the indicators of spiritual maturing? Maturing. I say maturing because it's an ongoing process. It's a process we never quite arrive. We never quite arrive. Um, John Wesley had had this thing called sanctification. And, and he, he came up with the theology and called it entire sanctification, thinking that someday we, we can attain perfection. Okay? And if I step on your theology toes, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I, let me just say that. Entire sanctification, which meant I am so good now that I'm never going to sin again. Okay? And so he, he, you can read, you can actually, we studied his sermons. You actually read his sermons. He has some sermons where he talks about entire sanctification. And he's, he's saying, we can, we can reach it. Well, then something happened. John sinned. Oh, then he sinned again. Then he sinned again. Then he modified his theology to fit something else. And he finally came to the conclusion, I will be entirely sanctified when I die and go to heaven. Amen. Okay. Yeah. So, so entire sanctification um, just didn't quite hold water on that. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we ought to be growing and maturing like that. But arriving completely here in this life, sorry. And there are some very sanctified people in this room even. But you're not perfect yet. Sorry. Anyway. Okay, so indicators of spiritual maturing. Uh, first of all is humility. Humility. Um, he says, what is Apollos or what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each his task. And he talks about, I planted, Paulus watered, etc. 
What is Paul? Apollos was a plant. He said, I was a planter. Apollos was the water. But God caused the growth. Paul does not diminish his role in planting. He doesn't diminish Apollos' role in watering. He just very truthfully states it is God who causes the growth. Humility is seeing the truth. I planted, that's truth. You don't deny or diminish your role. Apollos watered. He did a very good job at watering, that's true. But God grew the church. One of the misconceptions in, in churches, and it's all over, is, is that if we just do the right things, God, we're, we're going to grow. And then you look at this ministry, that ministry, this or that, and we give credit to that person or this person or that ministry, that mission or whatever, and we say, look how it grew. It's God who causes the growth. Now, all of our roles are important, but it's God who grows. I see advertisements quite often about so-and-so who will be speaking at this conference. He has grown his church to 6,000 people or 5,000 or 1,500, whatever. I guess God just was reduced to watering in that church. No. God grows the church. Humility is seeing things as they really are. Now, um, I'm going to take it aside here. I don't have notes on this, but um, I want to talk a little bit about about where churches are at. Every church is in a season, predominant season. And there are different seasons in every church and and in our lives as well. There's plowing, planting, watering, cultivating, and harvest. Okay, plowing, planting, watering, cultivating, and harvest. And every church is in one of those types of seasons predominantly. And so when we look at something, I mean, those of you that have done farming or gardening, you know that during plowing, there's nothing, you're not getting any harvest right now. The season is plowing. You're breaking up the hard pan, breaking up the dirt. You're getting it ready to receive what? The seed and watering the seed to sprout, etc. There are different seasons in agriculture. And so there's plowing, there's planting, there's watering, cultivating, and then there's harvest. We love harvest. Everybody loves harvest. And let me tell you something. One of the dangers of measuring, trying to measure church growth, is we want every church to always be in harvest all the time. It's not realistic. I, I take, take, I differ with some, some leadership in, I won't say who, in upper echelons. Let's just put it that way. They expect every church to be in harvest time. There is a lot of work that has to go into before we see harvest, okay? When we're we're talking about about things like connect groups and, and, and spending time in the Word, developing relationships and learning the Word and then practicing, working it out, growing spiritually so that we can someday work that out into harvest. Now, if all you ever do is plow, it's gonna be a miserable church, okay? But you... You have to have plowing. Then you have to have planting. Then you have to have harvest. And if you never have harvest, then you say, what can we do differently? But it's God that grows individuals and churches. It's God that does it. We just, we just plow, plant, water. God gives the growth. 
seasons. The second indicator of spiritual maturing is servanthood. Verse 5. Verse 5. What is Paul? What is Apollos? They're just servants doing their job. Doing their job. In and of ourselves, we cannot produce any spiritual result. But every one of us in the body, physical body, the body of the church, is important. Every one is critical. Nobody's more important than the other. And we don't cause the growth. God causes the growth. We have different gifts and roles given to us. Leaders need to lead, but they're not more important. We are all servants exercising our gifts for the good of the whole. Then we have teamwork. Teamwork. Talks about how teamwork happens. Now, how many of you have watched at least one preseason football game? Okay. I, I actually watched a little bit of a, a couple of football games and just looking at what happens. And uh, the teams that are succeeding and are looking good are the ones that play as a team. All the players have a role. And those of you that, that watch baseball or football or whatever sport it is you watch, you look at all the, the parts, the offensive line, the center, the guards, tackle, tight ends. And if, and if I'm watching a football game with you, you will say, oh, man, he missed his assignment. He missed his, ta- he, he, he missed his coverage or he blew something or whatever. And that's why the other team is going to win because somebody didn't play their role properly. Now, is the role of the team to make one or two players look good? No. No, it's not. It's not. The goal is to win the game. It takes teamwork working together. Unity. Unity. And working together. And one of the the critical parts is that everybody understands how important you are. How important you are. The fourth indicator of spiritual maturing is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Doing what God has called us to do. Doing what God has called us to do. Humbly as a servant. Now, we don't always get recognition for faithfulness. That's one of the things. It's people that always can be counted on. They always show up. Many of you are consistent and faithful. We went through... And I hope I don't miss any of the teams here. We went through looking at the number of teams of people in this church, this is this fellowship, that are serving, serving. And almost everybody's serving in some capacity. We have ushers and greeters, we have tellers, nursery workers, we have hospitality, refreshment time, which everybody benefits. I see everybody getting the food to eat out there. We have connect group leaders. We have people leading children's ministry, student ministry, the kitchen ministry, which we will all be benefiting from at the Sundays, sandwiches and Sundays afterwards. Kitchen. And that, they do more than just that. They, they serve at, at funerals and other types of events too. But we are recipients of their ministry to us. Intercessory prayer. A building ministry that maintains all of these things. Uh, the LBA our local board of administration. We have a security team. We have a security team. And you may see them, you may not notice them, but they are on duty every Sunday, playing a very important role. Yeah. And, and Steve Hansen led that. He just turned over the leadership to Brian Merrow. So 
he's still on the team, but basically these are people that have committed time and energy to minister life. They're exercising their gifts. We have those that mentor, uh, mentoring with, with Hope Gospel Mission residents. We have people in, working in missions, giving. Some people, their gift is giving. And nobody knows what they give. God knows what they give. Bringing meals to someone in need, visitation, um, worship ministry, very visible. Everybody knows who's on the worship team. They may not know who's bringing meals or who's giving. Worship ministry, very, very important role. Decorating team. You notice every so often, boom, everything changes seasonally. It's like, that was magic. No, that was hard, that was hard work, headed up by Lisa. That, that's a ministry ministering to the body, to the, to the people. We have custodial things. We have, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the tech crew. Our tech crew is amazing. And let me say something about uh, tech crew. They run PowerPoint and sound, okay? And the only time you notice them is when they mess up, <laughs> okay? Sure. <laughs> if everything goes smooth, you don't notice that it's there. That shows they do an incredible job. And, and let me just say this. We need some help. This is an advertisement. We need some more people so we don't burn our tech crew out. If you can run a computer PowerPoint thing, have some music background to be able to tell where you are and sound background, whatever it is, you know, if you can get up to the balcony and back, then that's all you need to do, okay? Just to let you know. And thank the tech crew. Every, oh, yeah, if, if, that, if that's the case. Talk to, talk to Brittany. Brittany's heading that up for that. So, um, and when you see a tech person, thank them, okay? Thank them. Faithful. Faithfulness is the greatest attribute in the kingdom of God. And our job is faithfulness. Faithfulness. The emphasis is not on our success. God makes things successful. God makes things grow. We are faithful to fulfill our calling. So we have indicators of spiritual maturity and maturing. And the question, hopefully we can answer today, is which way am I growing? Which way am I growing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have placed each one of us in this body and we are important. We have important roles to play. And I pray, God, that you, as we grow spiritually and as we grow in ministry and mission, as we fulfill that, we know that you are the one that brings the growth. And I pray that we would be faithful to our calling in whatever way that is. Some are noticed, some are not as noticeable, but every one of us is important. And I pray, God, that you would confirm that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.